Shalom. We're continuing our exploration of maybe a crazy topic, um, which is exploring the boundaries of what it means to be human by looking at the laws of prayer and specifically uh, what's the minimum level in order to be permitted or obligated to pray. Um, and I'm making a, not, not a, an assumption, but a, a playful guess um, that maybe to, to be able to pray uh, has something to do with being human. So um, whether you agree with that or not, uh, I think there's some interesting stuff here. And we want, I want to look at two different um, examples or, or realms of Jewish law where prayer comes up. Um, they're a bit esoteric, I'd say. One is to do with being drunk. And uh, at what point does a drunk person um, lose the ability to pray? And the other has to do with um, maybe a magical, maybe an imaginary creature called the golem. Okay, and there's been a lot written about golem stories and golem myths. Um, and we'll, we'll get there, but I'm going to be looking specifically at the question about a golem praying. Now, let's start uh, first things first. Okay, um, now... To be drunk, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, we have a, a statement in the Talmud that says that someone who is drunk, their acquisition is an acquisition, their sale is a sale. If they perform a transgression, a sin, a crime, then they get punished for it. Um, and the last line is, is important. The principle is, he is like a sober person in all matters, except that he is exempt from prayer. Okay, so they're saying legally, a drunk person um, has legal capacity, except that they can't pray, or they're not obligated to pray. Okay, and we'll see in a minute that that doesn't apply to all drunk people. Um, there's, there's gradations uh, in that category of, of drunkenness. Okay, and we see that in the Shulchan Aruch itself, where we have um, a paragraph, quite a dense paragraph, um, which speaks of different situations of being drunk. And it starts with an ideal. Okay, I split this up into one, two, and three. Uh, it's not necessarily... The, this, is my, this is my separation. Okay, we start with the ideal. If one drank a rivet of wine, he or she may not pray the Amidah prayer until the effects of the wine pass. Okay, so if one drinks um, quite a small amount, right, we're talking uh, some maybe 75, maybe 86 milliliters, maybe a bit more, um, but like, like a very small glass of wine, uh, you're not allowed to pray until the effects of the wine pass. If you drink more than that, this is level two, 
if you are able to speak before a king, then if you prayed, the prayer is considered a prayer. Okay? So that's kind of the middle category. You shouldn't, you, if you drink a river eat of wine, you shouldn't pray. But if you did, and you're in a situation where you could stand in front of a king, or you could speak in front of a king, then your prayer is a prayer. You did something. You counted. You don't have to repeat anything. And then level three, if he is not able to speak before a king and he prayed, his prayer is an, abom uh, is an abomination, and he is required to pray again when the effects of the wine passes from him. Okay? So there we have a category of someone who is drunk and cannot stand before the king, speak before the king, and then that doesn't, that's nothing. That, that prayer isn't prayer. Now, um, let's look at, at a bit of discussion about that. Um, first of all, there's later sources that say this doesn't count. We, we don't listen to this anymore. Here we have a comment from the book Yamshel Shlomo that says, and we've looked at this before, nowadays we don't have kavana. Nowadays we don't have kavana anyway, so we shouldn't be so strict about this. Because if we were strict about this, then we wouldn't uh, get to prayer. I guess it's a little bit uh, pessimistic there. But we don't have kavana, and it's better to pray uh, with a revit of wine in you than not to pray at all. And um, another comment of the Vilna Gaon, um, brings in a different category, which is the category of drunk like Lot. Okay? And he says, all of this discussion is in the case of one who did not arrive at the drunken state of Lot, because someone who did reach this level of drunkenness is completely mentally incapable and not obligated in anything, and anything they say is invalid. Okay, so we see this other category which is invoked all over the place, um, of drunk like Lot. Lot, we have the story in Genesis of uh, uh, he escaped Sodom and with his two daughters, and they think they're the last people alive, and his daughters get him very, very drunk and sleep with him to the point that he, he doesn't know. Um, according to the simple meaning of the text, he doesn't know that uh, he had sexual relations with his daughters. Um, so that level of drunk like Lot, like you just don't know what's going on, um, that's considered invalid, mentally incapable of prayer and probably everything else as well. All the things we said before about um, making a sale and buying things and uh, transgressions that there's a sense that someone's drunk like Lot isn't part of that. Um, I'll come back to, to the aspect of speaking before the king, but already I wanted to say that um, there's, a, there's a sense of reflection here 
which seems to me important and connected to Kavanah. Um, someone who's able to determine that they are drunk, and someone who's able to look at themselves and say, yes, I am drunk, but I'm about to speak before the king. I'm about to pray. So I have to act, at least. I have to pull myself together. Um, it's not even a question of whether they can do that or not, but the, the noticing themselves, am I, am I ready to pray? Am I able to pray? That noticing of oneself is, I think, a prerequisite to kavana. Right? Remember the definition of kavana is someone who uh, sees themselves as if standing before the divine presence. Okay, and that seeing yourself as if requires a sense of um, self-knowledge, self-reflection, which I think is uh, is somewhere here in the, this uh, scale of drunkenness. Okay, that's what we're playing with. Does this person have self-reflection or not? Um, let's go quickly to, to another source about the golem. Now, I've spoken about the golem before, and I've brought some of these sources before. Um, what's interesting for me is, first of all, um, there's a kind of famous translation of Genesis um, by ancient proto-rabbi Onkelos. Onkelos translated the Torah into Aramaic, and that translation is considered authoritative. And it kind of, you can learn a lot from that translation, and they, they learn law and halakha from the translation, and also matters of um, theology, I would say, or yeah, worldview. Um, and in the story of the creation of man, where it says that God blew the breath of life into man, into mankind, um, and man became a living being, nefesh chaya, living being. Onkelos translates that phrase, living being, as speaking being. Okay? Translates nefesh chaya as ruach memalala. Living being becomes speaking being. Now, hold that for a moment, and we look at this um, story of uh, there's a Talmudic story of one of the rabbis, Rava, who created a man, who created a golem, um, and he sent this golem to speak to the other rabbis. And Rabbi Zera spoke to the golem, and he did not reply. Rabbi Zera said to him, you were created by one of us, return to the dust. And so Rabbi Zera basically deactivates the golem sends him back to the dust. Okay, won't go into it too much, but there's been kind of an interesting um, discussion throughout the ages about whether that hypothetical golem, or whether that real golem, I don't know, whether that golem is human or not. And the way, the angle they take is whether that golem could join a minyan, could be counted amongst the 10 people needed to pray properly in, in the Jewish sense. Um, I've spoken before about the response of Chacham Tzvi 
and there's another responsum of, of Jakob, Jakob Emden. Um, there's an interesting one, though, by uh, a Hasidic master, Rabbi Tzadok of Lublin. And Rabbi Tzadok, he has a dream diary. In one of his dreams, in his dreams, in the sixth dream in this diary, um, he dreamt about this halachic dispute of how to counter golem in a minyan. And he's, he, in his dream, he realized that the previous rabbis were wrong. Um, and he said the previous rabbis assumed that if Rabbi Zera um, told, deactivated the golem, right? Told the golem to go back to the dust. That means that uh, it's not a living being, because otherwise it might be murder, and that the golem can't be counted in a minyan, because otherwise Rabbi Zera wouldn't have killed him, wouldn't have destroyed him, because he has a purpose. But the Rabbi Tzadok says, um, that's not right, because maybe there's a different reason that Rabbi Zera killed him. Maybe the golem was dangerous. Again, he brings in uh, proof from other golems which were created in Europe, in Chelm. Um, and that's a whole different story. Um, and he goes through thinking about different, different aspects of what it means to be, to count, to be, um, uh, to be part of the community. And one of the approaches he brings is that the golem lacks a speaking soul. Okay, if the, the golem can't speak. Since the golem can't speak, the, that, that means that it's not human enough to, to pray. Okay, eventually he kind of rejects that approach and he says, no, the golem isn't, it comes to the same conclusion. The golem can't pray as part of the minyan because the golem isn't obligated in the commandments and there's no uh, reward and punishment for golems. But, and then he says something very strange. He says, perhaps the golem could count as one of the 10 needed to say the blessing after meals. Like a child who is sometimes also included in this, since it knows to whom one is blessing. Okay, so he says there's another level of inclusion in prayer, which all you need to, to be able to do is to know to whom you are praying to. If you know to whom you're praying to, that's like a child. And sometimes we count a child in a minyan for, for specific things. So it says maybe a golem is on that level. That's, that's interesting. Now, just maybe to summarize, and it's a bit of a long um, summary today. To summarize, I think what's holding all of this together is the ability to speak. Okay? There's a question of can... So like to be, to pray is to be able to speak and to, uh, maybe to be human is to be able to speak. Okay? And then that brings us to all these borderline cases about children, about golems, about drunk people. And the way we analyze those situations is to what extent can they speak? To what extent is their speech really speech? To what extent do they mean what they say? And, uh, having some kind of knowledge of, of 
what you're doing, of what you're, what you're saying as you say it, that seems to be a, a condition for prayer. Um, and again, that's interesting in terms of our um, journey, thinking about humanity, about artificial intelligence, about everything that's interesting and uh, in our world, or soon to be in our world. Thank you for listening to this, and I guess uh, see you next week.